This is the best, 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 best practices in education and Odyssey School podcast. Let's fly away in a cloud. We'll go down to Odyssey. This podcast aims to offer professional resources, practical tools, and inspiring conversations to teachers and parents in their quest for excellent education. And the trees are rainbow, and you'll see the corn every now and then because that's not weird at all. Welcome to Best Practices, an Odyssey School podcast. My name is Corey Adams, and I'll be your host. Today, we're joined by fifth and sixth grade homeroom teacher Kylie Holver. Kylie, welcome. Thanks for having me, Corey. Kylie received her BS in early childhood education from Ohio University. The classroom is her playground, and Kylie believes that multimodal, hands-on, and active learning experiences lead to a deep, comprehensive understanding of concepts, which is a great lead into our topic today. So Kylie, can you share what your best practice is on? Yeah, so I did my best practice on multimodal and game-based learning, specifically in the mathematics classroom. What inspired you to choose that topic? So what inspired me to do this topic was one of my sixth grade math teachers. Um, In his class, we learned through a lot of hands-on learning, a lot of game-based learning. Um, Specifically, I remember racing cars up and down the hallway or um, measuring things in the classroom or playing outside in the sunshine while building solar cars. Um, and that those were all lessons that really stuck with me. Um, and I haven't really had an experience like that in math since then. So when I became a math teacher, I really wanted to incorporate lessons like that for my students, both to help them remember the content and just to have fun with them. So not to be a stickler, but I'm going to start with definitions because I think that can be a really easy entry point for folks. So when you say a multimodal lesson, what exactly are you talking about? Sure. So multimodal learning um, really hits on different sensory inputs. So that might look like um, incorporating visual elements, auditory elements, kinesthetic experiences, um, or reading and writing. So I think oftentimes math is a lot of pen and paperwork, or that's what people think of in a math classroom. Um, But it's incorporating experiences that might involve throwing things or manipulating objects or... um, introducing all these other elements to help the students learn the material. And it sounds pretty playful. It's very playful. (laughs) So am I. So it works well together. (laughs) Yeah. Like there are games. Yes, absolutely. The first day of school, I remember, you know, we were getting ready for a lesson on rates and I was like, okay, we've got a bucket and we've got a bunch of rags and we're going to make a game out of it and go. And that was sort of the birth of uh, play in my classroom. That is so much fun. And I'm wondering how working in multimodal lesson planning is also helping the developmental needs that your students have. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So I think it's really important in all the lessons to be mindful of needs both socially and emotionally as well as physically. Um, So physically, kids, especially in middle school, have a lot of energy. Um, They can be restless. (laughs) They need to play. Um, So in that sense, multimodal learning can be really great for them because they really get to move their bodies um, during the lessons and get some of that energy out. So that sort of helps meet their physical needs. And then socially and emotionally, middle school is also a really important time to develop skills in collaboration, in leadership, 
um, in negotiation. And I think that game-based learning can also help um, meet all of those needs. Yeah, I'm curious in your delivery as a teacher when you have a more traditional lesson and then you're moving into a multimodal lesson, what you can see in the student experience. Smiles. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we definitely, the, the classroom isn't all just play. We definitely have days where we really hunker down and we, we learn a concept and that might involve a little bit more pen and paperwork, uh, PowerPoint slides, that kind of thing to um, deliver the information. And I think that uh, sometimes with that kind of work, I see students, you know, maybe slouching over in their chair a little bit, a little bit more, uh, you know, ah, shoot, I was going to say doodling on paper, but I support that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Pro doodling. Pro doodling. Yes. So what comes up for me in that is, yes, we absolutely want students to have fun in the classroom. And we absolutely want them to get the material that they need in order to meet our learning objectives. And so what? how does this relate to retention? And do you see a difference in student retention in regard to your lesson planning when making choices like this? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I definitely see an increase in retention. Um, And some of the ways I see that are when I can take a lesson and relate it to a concept that a student's already familiar with. So for fractions, that might look like tying it into baking or cooking for a student that does that often. So that's an example of a concept that they already have concrete familiarity with. And then adding fractions on top with things like measuring cups or teaspoons and tablespoons um, is a really solid tie-in for them. Um, And I think that that does lead to an increased retention in the concept for them. Additionally, I find that I can use cues too with the lessons that I've done. Um, So for example, if you were to walk by my classroom yesterday, we were learning about long division. Um, So with my fifth graders, we made up a story to help remember the steps because long division can be really tough. Um, You have to do a bunch of different operations and write the numbers in a bunch of different places. And it can just kind of be an overwhelming mumbo jumbo (laughs) if, um, if you're, if you're new to learning it. Um, so we made up a story to help remember the steps of long division, uh, related to a restaurant. So we stood up at our desks, we checked into the restaurant. After we checked in, we went and sat on the roof to wait. After we sat on the roof to wait, we went all the way down to the cellar underneath. (laughs) And then we got lonely in the cellar, so we had to bring a friend down. And then once we had our friend down there with us, we had to check back into the restaurant to see if our table was ready and repeat the process over and over. So this looked like the kids starting on the floor, then they would get on top of their desks, then they'd have to dive underneath their desks to go to the cellar, they'd have to point to a friend and bring it down with them, and then stand up again to check into the restaurant. So it was also a really great workout for them, which, like I said before, helps meet their developmental needs. Sure. I love so many things about that example because what I hear is you engaging a lot of different parts of their brain. So it's the storytelling part, which is about a narrative and making meaning. And in addition to that, pairing it with physical movement so that it's landing in their body. So I can imagine not only is it fun and also it's doing a lot of work and conveying the information that they need to be learning. Yeah, and I think it's experiences like that and little memory devices that really help me get through math. Um, Because in regard to multiple intelligences, I'm not necessarily somebody that relies heavily on math and logic to interpret and understand my world. Mm -hmm. Um, But growing up, every time I had to memorize something in math, I'd make it a story or I'd make it 
uh, visual. I, I mean, in college, I would draw all of my notes out to help me remember. Um, so giving my students experiences like that, too, I, I hope that they can use those in the long term. Do you see an increase in motivation when you use those kinds of lessons? I sure do. And it's really funny. We were actually supposed to play a game um, during class the other day when I was teaching long division. And it turned out they needed a little bit more of a refresher that took a little bit longer. So we didn't get to play it. Um, And at the end of class, I was like, sorry, guys, you know, we'll play it next time. And they were like, what do you mean? That was awesome. That was a game in itself. (laughs) So, you know, it's really fun because, I mean, how many times do they get to stand on a desk at school? You know, and any time a student gets to jump (laughs) off of something or throw something or stand on their desk, I think you're golden in terms of motivation. (laughs) (laughs) And that kind of brings me to my next point um, about motivation tying in with student interests. Um, So something that's really important to me is passion and um, both in my personal life and also helping foster that in my students. Mm -hmm. So anytime they're interested in something, whether it's sports, we've done drawing, we've done dancing, we've done painting, um, anything that my students are interested in, I really try to tie it into the content. Um, And I think that helps in two different ways. I think that when they're doing something that they love and they can relate to a math concept, they're going to dive in so much deeper into it. Um, and number two, I think it helps me develop my relationship with my students. Um, cause showing that you care and that you're paying attention to what they enjoy and being able to share in that joy with them through those lessons is going to make them even more excited to do the math lessons. So I, you named a lot of different ones that you have rolled in, but I just would love to hear, does that mean that you are acknowledging? or maybe not acknowledging, but recognizing that a student is an artist. And so, for example, you're as you're planning, doing your lesson planning, you're thinking, oh, yeah, so-and-so really loves art. I think I can use that here. Absolutely. I think, you know, to, to really understand your students, you have to see them as the whole person. Um, you have to see them as an artist. You have to see them as a dancer. You have to see them as a person who likes playing Dragon Ball Z. You know, whatever they're into, <laughs> we're going to do it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes my assignments are sort of open-ended. It's take this concept and illustrate it in a way that you want to. So I have had students make a math project out of Dragon Ball Z. I have had them make projects doing basketball and shooting hoops. Um, and yeah, just, just really leaning into both how they see themselves and what you see in them. I love about that, that you're incorporating not only design thinking for yourself, but you're also asking them to really take where their interest is, empathize, and then use that process. And it sounds like, can you talk a little bit about design thinking in your classroom? Sure. Yeah. Um, a, a lesson that comes to mind specifically is one that we did um, racing Lego cars. So um, I borrowed from the preschool room. It's very handy that they're right next door. I borrowed their big basket of Legos and they had a challenge to design a Lego car. Um, we built a little racetrack out of a table and they had to calculate the unit rate um, of their car as it raced. So they had to build the car. Um, they each got an identical set of wheels. Um, but anything other than that was just totally open-ended. So we had different rounds. They built their first car model, tested it, altered it, raced it again, recorded their calculations. And this process took place across the whole class period. So they really got to work and rework their designs. Um, something else that's really cool that I love about multimodal learning and design thinking and anything where you're doing tangible things is the byproducts of it. So 
not only did I hear them talking about, oh, let me use this kind of Lego or what happens if I do this, but conversations about friction, about wheel size, um, about all these other things came up as we were doing the learning. So you get all these wonderful, rich experiences um, and conversations going just by presenting them with a lesson that involves design thinking. It sounds like it might be hard to translate to virtual learning. So I'm curious how that's going Uh, I know at Odyssey, we haven't spent a lot of time virtual, but we do spend some time. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, you know, it's really important to me to continue that deep multimodal hands-on learning during virtual classes um, or game-based learning. But, um, you know, the kids don't have as much connection with their peers when we're on virtual learning. You know, they see each other's faces on the screen, but they're not laughing together in person. They're not connecting in the same way. Um, so the way that looks in my classes is, um, we do different games. So sometimes it's taking games or templates of games online and converting them to, um, math games. So I took a drawing game, for example, that I found online and then I converted it to, to a math game. So they had to draw a math concept and illustrate it. And then their peers had to guess what it was. Um, another way that I incorporate it is by having them mirror my setups. So using common materials around a house, like water and bowls, maybe food coloring, pencils, um, some things that you know for sure every student probably has. Mm -hmm. And then creating a video that they follow along with or creating an experience that they can replicate on their own. Um, and, and so it's actually been really fun for me too, because I, it kind of makes me have to think outside the box a little bit. How can I meet this need in this different way? Which is really fun because I'm usually asking my students to do the same. Sure. So I think we're about ready to close, but I'm curious, do you have any recommendations for teachers who are thinking about ways they can incorporate more multimodal learning in their classrooms? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that the way I do it is... I think about a lesson and, you know, I'm, I'm always looking a little bit ahead. So what do I have coming up this week? What do I have coming up the week after? Um, so I can kind of let it simmer on my back burner. Um, and then I just sort of try to spend a little bit of time every day looking at the world around me and my surroundings and thinking, how can I relate this to a math concept? So all it can take is just a little bit of intentionality. So I, I love that because what you're really saying is, you're a resource, which is true for all of us. And teachers always have so much interior resource that they can kind of return back to. So I want to just say thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. And thank you for reminding us all to have fun, especially when we're doing math. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Corey. It's been awesome to talk about with you. This has been Best Practices in Education, an Odyssey School podcast. It was recorded here in our music studio in Asheville, North Carolina at Odyssey School, engineered by our music director, River Gargarian, and the original theme music was created by the Misfits of Cragberry, an Odyssey student band. Let's fly away in a cloud. See